mornings, we like to mix in uh, teaching with discussion. So if you're a intern, volunteer, or a student that just wants to lead discussion, come grab a discussion sheet from the front. There you go. Put this down right there. And every table should have one of those. Uh, we like to do that because we feel like um, that if I'm the only person that ever says anything in here, that's a problem. And so we want to make sure that uh, you guys are able to connect with each other as well. So we're discussing here on Sundays. Now right now we're going to the book of Acts. And we have been using an analogy as we discuss the book of Acts. Because uh, this series has two purposes. One purpose is teaching the book of Acts. But the second purpose is to show you guys how to study the Bible for yourselves. And so we've used the analogy of a restaurant. We talked about how on Sunday mornings, oftentimes, a church is viewed like a restaurant. I went to a restaurant last night. Uh, anybody here like BJ's? I think it's one of the best restaurants in Temple. Um, went to BJ's last night. I love going to restaurants. But with, when it comes to restaurants, if someone brings you bad food, what do you do? You complain, right? And so... Um, the same thing happens in church. Oftentimes, uh, we see the pastor, oftentimes, as this, the chef that cooks the food, and you guys show up, you're the consumers, you just eat. If you don't like certain things about what we're doing here, then you just, if you don't like certain things about what we're doing here, then you just decide to go somewhere else. If you don't like the chicken wings, you go find chicken wings somewhere else, oftentimes. And so we talked about how, um, if you have that approach to the church, though, uh, you're never going to be really fulfilled in the church because that's not the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is not to be a restaurant where you just come and consume and just take in and go home. The point of the church is that you've got to learn how to feed yourself. And you've got to be a part of community with other people as you learn how to do that. And so um, the purpose of this whole series is to show you guys how to feed yourselves spiritually as opposed to me just spoon feeding you like what normally happens on a Sunday or a Wednesday. And so that's the picture we talked about. Now, um, I'll summarize where we've been in the book of Acts the last couple of weeks. Uh, we were in Acts chapter 1 and 2 the last two weeks. And the first week, first of all, uh, someone tell me again who wrote the book of Acts. I'm going to keep asking that question until I hear all Luke. Okay, because, um, no, who wrote the book of Acts? Luke. All right, Luke wrote the book of Acts. And I'll keep asking that question until you guys stop saying Paul. Because Paul wasn't even a believer yet until the middle of the book, or somewhere in there. So he's, he's not a Christian yet at this point of the story. So Luke wrote the book of Acts, and he also wrote the book of Luke. So keep that in mind. They're kind of like two books. They're sort of together. Luke and Acts sort of go together. One is the story of Christ. One is the story of the church. So remember, Luke wrote the book of Acts. And who was it written to? A guy named Theophilus. And, of course, it was read to the church as well as, as uh, it being written to, the, to Theophilus. Now, Acts chapter 1, remember uh, in the Gospels, Jesus, he died, he was buried, he resurrected. And then he spent how many days with his disciples? About. How many days? About 40 days. And, uh, and so he spent about a month and 10 days with his disciples. And then he told them, he said, you shall be my witnesses to the far reaches of the earth. And then he ascended. Okay? He ascended. And so the disciples are left for about ten days wondering what's going to happen next. 
And Jesus made a promise. He said, he said, he said I promise I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit to empower you. And so ten days later, day of Pentecost, that's just what happens. The people, about 120 people, are filled with the Holy Spirit. They start speaking in other languages. And there's this crazy scene where people are just coming together. Um, the Holy Spirit comes in power. They're speaking other languages and so on, ones they never learned before. And God does this miracle to show that the gospel is for everyone. It's for the entire world. So that brings us to what's happening now. 3,000 people were saved on that day after Peter preached a sermon about Jesus Christ. The same Peter who denied Christ about a month earlier. So that brings us to Acts chapter 2. Go ahead and turn it to Acts chapter 2. And look at verse 42. And what I want you to do today, I know last, last week I had you guys read it quietly, and man, that was awkward. Wasn't that awkward last week? Everyone's quiet, everyone's starting to giggle, it's really quiet in here. And so um, today we're going to have you guys read it just at your table. So have one person for each table read Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. So read it out loud at your tables. Then we'll do it as a group in just a few minutes. So go ahead and read it at your tables. Go. Okay, everyone finish? We have some slow reading groups in here. Alright, so let's go ahead and let's go ahead and read it. Let's go ahead and read it as a group together. Uh, verse forty two. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So here's the scene. 3,000 people get saved. And here's what happened next. This scene right here in verse 42. Everyone's hanging out together. They're spending time talking about Jesus. Talking about what Christ has done. They're spending time eating food together. They're spending time praying together. The apostles are doing miracles, carrying on Jesus' work. Everyone's selling their stuff. If someone has a need, someone says, Hey, I've got something I can sell so I can take the money and give it to someone who has need. They're giving money to the poor. Everyone's sharing meals in their homes. This is like one big party. If you read this passage just over and over, you get the picture of just everyone out in the streets having a great time, rejoicing in Jesus Christ. New Christians. Everyone's new Christians. They're sharing their stuff. They're giving as people have need. Just imagine this scene that's being painted for us by Luke in this part of the chapter. This is like one big party. Now, unsaved people, they come along and they see this, and they wonder what's going on, because they want to be a part of it. So, um, this is exactly, I want you guys to get this, this is exactly what the church should be. This is just what the church should be. Unsaved people should come along and see the church in action, and want to be a part of it. 
But sadly, that's hardly ever the case, isn't it? In fact, if you were to ask people on the street that aren't Christians, okay, what do you think of the church, you would get a lot of negative answers. You would not get, hey, how can I be a part of that? Right? Most people look at the church as just simply a building where a guy like me gets paid to yell at people and send them home. That's really it. That's what they see the church as. They don't see the church as this vibrant, life-giving community where people care about each other, where they're giving each other their stuff, they're rejoicing, they're happy. I mean, let's be honest, most people in church are just like, okay, it's Sunday, we just go to church, that's just what we do around here. Especially here where you and I live in the Bible Belt, that's how many of us view church. But here in this chapter you see a completely different picture being painted for us as to what church I think is supposed to be. In fact, uh, many would say, well, the church is always against partying. Now, a certain kind of partying, yes, we are. We're not in favor of getting drunk and, you know, doing drugs and stuff like that. We're not in favor of that. But when it comes to the word partying, that's a pretty broad term, right? So the church should not be just against partying across the board, right? I mean, to me, what you see here is one big party that's about Jesus. And so what you see here is a vibrant community that's basically having one big party, and the non-believers are looking at this wanting to be a part of it. However, in our culture, it's usually the exact opposite, right? The parties that you guys see happening in your communities are the ones that you want to go to and be a part of because they seem like they're obviously a lot of fun. What we're doing here oftentimes is hardly ever seen that way by your friends who aren't Christians. Right? And so the picture you see here of the church, I think, is, is such a powerful picture of what the church is supposed to be. The community that we have in this place, the kind of fellowship we have in this place, should be so attractive that non-believers crave it, desire it, and want to be a part of it. But here's what's what's interesting. You can find, I think, oftentimes better community, more transparent relationships in a bar or at a party, a different kind of party, than you can in the church. That's a sad reality. You can find oftentimes more honest relationships, more transparent relationships, better community, better fellowship to a certain extent among non-believers who aren't even following Christ than you can among Christ followers. Oftentimes, non-believers are more loyal and faithful to their friends than Christians are to their friends. That's just the reality. So what I want you guys to do is to uh, answer questions one through three at your tables. Go ahead and discuss answer uh, questions one through three. should do is uh, we need to find a way where you guys can indicate to me that you're done talking
talking about the topic. Maybe you can get like a flag on the table. You stand it up whenever you're done talking, something like that. You just stand up yourself. You can do that too. We'll find some way to do that so we don't. I don't interrupt you guys from now on. Um, but here's the question I want to ask you guys about this passage. So if this is a picture of how the church is supposed to be, then today we're going to explore what made the early church like this. What set this community apart? There's one word I want to focus on in this whole text, and it's the word devoted. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. I want to focus on just one word today. And it's the word devoted. Let's go ahead and define what devoted means. Um, if you're someone who really wants to study the Bible, you've got to know that the New Testament was written in Greek. And so if you want to find out what a word really means, you've got to look back at the Greek word and actually see what it means in the Greek meaning. And so this word devoted is actually uh, kind of a hard word to say, but it's proskarterio. So it's kind of like car stereo. But proskartario. Go ahead and say it with me. Proskartario. All right, so this is devoted. This is what devoted means. Now, here's what this word means. What's up? This word proskartario means persistence and perseverance. Now, it sheds new light on the word because when you hear it, when you hear those words, persistence and perseverance, it makes you think that. This word devoted implies that there's going to be a struggle. If something requires persistence and perseverance, here's what it means. It means that it's not easy. It means that there's going to be a struggle with it, right? Let's think about the things that require devotion just in regular life. Certain things, certain things don't require devotion, do, don't, do they not? Uh, Facebook does not require devotion. TV does not require devotion. There's no persistence or perseverance. You don't think to yourself, oh, I've got to go watch some more TV. I hate watching TV, but I'm going to do it for a good cause, right? That's not what happens. So certain things, eating doesn't really require devotion, persistence, perseverance. We just do it naturally. Let's think about what requires devote, What, what uh, requires devotion. What are some things that require devotion? Exercise. What else? Marriage. Guitar Hero does not require devotion. Playing the real guitar requires devotion, my friend. What else? Yes. (laughs) There's always the spiritual trump card that someone lays down and we're like, okay, we're done. Conversation's over. Good job, Evan. But we're talking about just our lives today, okay? Um, listening to Dixie Chicks would require devotion for those who do not like Dixie Chicks, okay? That's what I'm going to say right now. So, there are things that require devotion. There are things that do not require devotion. So, when Luke uses this word, listen up. When Luke uses this word, he is showing us that what he's about to tell us requires perseverance and persistence. And there are two main things that we see in this passage that they're devoted to. Go to the next slide. What are they devoted to? They're devoted to two main things. Teaching and fellowship. I'll cover teaching first. It says, 
They devoted themselves. Notice, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Here's what that means. The apostles didn't have to entertain them. The apostles didn't have to get them interested in the gospel and keep them interested in the gospel. Much of, don't get me wrong, I love this job. I love working with you guys. Absolutely love it. I think this is the best job I could possibly have. There's nothing else I'd rather do than this right here. But, but much of student ministry, as you guys know, is, is so often just entertainment-based. At least that's what we're kind of told when we first go into it. Um, there were guys that told me things like, yeah, I worked with youth for a while, but man, it just burned me out because they just want you to entertain them all the time. I'm just not about doing that. And so I kind of entered it thinking like, I think it could be more than that, but I'm going to give this a go, Right? And so, it's true that much of student ministry is trying to get and keep you interested. And it can be exhausting sometimes for for certain youth pastors. And it can be exhausting for me sometimes to think that way. But here's the reality. There was none of this in the early church. Uh, Can you imagine? Jesus just ascended. They just saw the Holy Spirit come in power. And Peter preaches a sermon. And after everyone gets saved, someone goes, uh, uh, Peter, uh, could you tell uh, a better joke next time in your sermon? Peter, um, could you tell some more stories that would be funny so that people can get saved? You know? I mean, 3,000 people come to know Jesus just from hearing the gospel, and that's it. No entertainment, no flash, except what the Holy Spirit provided through his miracle. That was pretty flashy, I will say that. But here's, here's the deal. It didn't require that because these people were devoted. They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. They weren't disengaged. They weren't bored. They weren't waiting to be entertained. If you're someone where you feel like you don't get much out of church, ask yourself this question. Are you devoting yourself to what's being taught here? Or are you just trying to get entertained? Are you really making this a two-way street where you're devoting yourself to what we're talking about here, or do you just sit there and wait for someone to wow you? Because if that's what you're here for, you will be disappointed. This has to be a two-way street. It can't be a one-way street. I have a book in my office called Still Bored in a Culture of Entertainment. Now, it might sound like one of those books is written by an old guy who's just like, Oh, these crazy kids today, always want to be entertained all the time and so on. And they can come across that way when I talk about this book. But this book is, I think, really profound because it talks about how, in our society today, that people have the world at their fingertips. We have everything at our fingertips, but we're still bored. What does that tell us? It tells us that the things we're trying to entertain ourselves with They provide a quick fix, but they don't provide depth. They don't provide relationship. They don't provide community. All the things that you guys long for and are trying to get fulfilled in those things, you're still bored. You're still, something's still falling short. 
we have the world at our disposal, but we're still, we're still bored by it. We're still bored by it. I, was, I watched a movie. I actually went to a movie yesterday. I saw the movie. Uh, um, I forgot the name of it. What's it called? The uh, Something Bureau with Matt Damon. Yes, that's it. Saw it yesterday. I forgot the name of it. But it was a good. It was okay. But Hollywood pours millions into movies. We still sit there and we're just like, yeah, that was all right. It was okay. But when you think about it, it's like this thing costs millions to make. They spend millions to wow you guys. And we're still bored. We're still bored. Here's why I think that is. I think we're still bored because essentially our souls are dead. Because we're connecting to everything else except what we're supposed to connect to, Jesus Christ, and each other. And our souls are dead as a result of it. And we're still bored. You see, guys, I get four years with you guys here in high school. So let's just break this down. It's a math this week. If you come here every Sunday, that's one hour on Sunday. Wednesday, two hours. So in four years, we're going to spend about 600 hours together, which sounds like a lot when you think about it, until you do some comparisons. When you compare that the average teen spends 23 hours per week watching TV, 31 hours per week online, in four years, that's 4,700 hours watching TV, and 6,500 hours online, this totals over 11,000 hours with media versus 600 hours with us. Now, let me ask you a question. Now, I said this last week. I love technology. And the reason why I know this is a struggle for you, there's a reason why I know this thing is a struggle for you guys. Because it's a struggle for me. I'm, I'm right there with you. I struggle the same way you do. But here's the question I want to ask. The comparison I just gave you, 11,000 hours with things like this versus 600 hours with things like this. That is if you have like perfect attendance here at our church, which none of you do. Even I don't have that. Let me ask you a question. Which one of these... It's going to help you be a better husband or wife. Which one of these is going to help you be a better father or mother? Which one of these is going to help you when your mom gets cancer? Which one of these is going to help you when you're married one day and your wife says she wants a divorce? Which one of these is going to help you when your best friend dies in a car wreck? Which one of these is going to help you conquer lust and pornography? Which one of these is going to make you more like Christ? And so when you do the comparison of how much time we spend with this versus devoting ourselves to the teaching, you feel the gravity of this whole thing. And so, on Sunday mornings in here, I I know it's tempting because whenever I'm sitting in a church service, I do the exact same thing you guys do. Um, I'm checking Facebook, I'm doing other stuff on the the cell phone and so on, and it's just, that's just how we operate now, obviously. But there's a reason why I don't have a cell phone rule in this room. You're never going to hear me say something like, hey man, put your cell phone up. I'm talking up here. And what I'm saying is important, so put your cell phone away. Like, I'm never going to say it to you guys. I'll tell you why. 
Because for one, uh, for most of you guys, this is also your Bible. And uh, I just know that's the reality. And I know all of y'all are looking at your Bible on your cell phone when I'm up here. Um, so, uh, but the other reason why I don't do that is because I want you guys to crave that more than you crave this. I want you to be devoted to that more than this. I want you to crave it. I want you to devote yourself to it. This should not be a rule I just smack down. Because that's not going to change the state of your heart. It's not. I can make a rule and change your behavior. But I want you to crave this. I want you to be devoted to this. And a rule's not going to do that. A rule never changes someone's heart. You see, in the early church, these guys were hungry. They were hungry spiritual. They wanted to hear about Jesus Christ, hear Him taught. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And so the question I have for you today is, are you hungry? Do you crave this? Do you want this? You see, at some point, you have to grow up. You've got to stop demanding entertainment. Stop being spoon-fed and crave it for yourself and devote yourself to it. One of the things that I try to do uh, just on a regular basis is, is find ways to feed myself spiritually. And one of the things that I try to do is I've got guys I listen to on podcasts. I've got, I'll recommend two guys to you right now. Write this down. Uh, a guy named Mark Driscoll and a guy named Matt Chandler. Um, two guys I love listening to. I will go to the gym, work out in the morning. I listen to one of their podcasts. I'll go read a passage of scripture on my own on my phone. I'll take a walk. Um, I've got to walk to pray. I can't just sit in a place and just pray. I've got to walk to pray. And so I'll go pray. And, and let me tell you something, guys. It's a struggle. It's hard. Especially when you have kids like us. If you're not disciplined now to do this as a high school kid when you have like no one you're responsible for, you will never do it as an adult, believe me. Because I was one of those kids, I was really faithful as a kid, just really getting into the Word for myself. But once we had kids, it was like, you wake up, and your kid's like, Daddy, feed me. And you're like, well, it's either the Bible or my kid starves. What's it going to be, right? And so you find yourself, you've got to make time to do it. And so I get up early in the morning, go work out, go pray, go read. I try every morning to do that. But there are days where I fail miserably, right? But the question is, do you crave it? Do you crave the teaching? Do you want that? Are you hungry for it? They not only craved teaching, but they also devoted themselves to fellowship. Let's talk about fellowship now. They were devoted to fellowship. I used to hate this word fellowship. It was like a very Baptist-sounding word to me. But they would say, we're going to meet down in the fellowship hall beneath the church. I'm going, what is fellowship? That's just a weird word. What is fellowship? But here's what fellowship was in this passage. It was basically two things. It was eating and praying together. That was it. Eating food, praying for each other. Now, if we did this for one month every day, if we just, let's just say we had like one big month of just, we made this little commune, nothing crazy, not like a cult, nothing like that, but just, we made a commune for overflow, we had a little place where we had uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner together, and we prayed together, and that was it. Can you imagine how close we'd be after just one month of that? Just those two things. 
This is why we have food every Sunday and every Wednesday at Lightford Scott Heels. We feed you guys a lot. Do you realize that? Seriously, we feed y'all all the time. You know why we do it? Because we know that it creates community. We know that conversations are really awkward if you don't have food. Ever tried to have a conversation at a table and you're just kind of like, uh, so, how was your week? And it's just, it's just awkward, man. you got to have something that you're doing, right? So food just creates community. So we have food here. We love having food here with you guys. This is also why I love Impact. I love mission trips because you guys can attest to this. After Impact or a mission trip, what happens? Everyone feels extremely close. Everyone feels there's this bond that you have that you can't get anywhere else. And it's partly because you eat meals together. You pray together. At Impact Camp, one of the most powerful times for us is we gather in circles, we pray Every person in the circle prays for everyone else in the circle. And it's very simple. It's just a powerful time of just praying and sharing Christ together. That's all it is. It's simple. But it's powerful. It's powerful. I'll be honest with you guys. Um, I'm really excited to go skiing on the ski trip. But I'll be really honest with you. I really kind of wish I was doing a mission trip instead. I'm not trying to burst your bubble. I want you to have fun, and I'm going to have a lot of fun, but I really wish we were doing a mission trip instead. That's just how I feel about it. Because something happens when you're serving together, you're serving Christ. Something happens that you cannot reproduce on a ski trip. I mean, trips are fun. I love trips, but I'm just saying, when you're serving Christ together, something happens that you can't create anywhere else. So these Christians, they met daily, they shared meals together, they shared their possessions uh, their faith was a daily thing, not a once-a-week activity. You know, for some of you guys in this room, you picture a church as just a place where you go, not a people that you belong to. Church is a people, it's not a place. We have a place for the people, not the other way around. For eight months last year, we didn't have this building, and I felt like, um, on some level, that we had just a great time of fellowship and community, trying to figure out how we're going to do church on Wednesdays and Sundays. It was just kind of fun because we had to adjust. We didn't have the outback for eight months because we had each other. Now, um, what I want to do is jump to some application uh, because I, I think what we're trying to do here with you guys is we're trying to pull out principles from passages and show you how to build a bridge from the passage to your own personal life. And here's a couple of points I want you to make before we do some further discussion here. What principles can you apply to your life in this passage? Here's the first principle. As our attachment to Jesus and others increases, our attachment to things decreases. In this story, you see people that are giving away their stuff, they're selling their stuff, getting money for it, giving it to the poor. And here's the reality. Whenever you come to know Christ, and whenever you um, get closer and closer to Christ, as your attachment to Him increases, and you start to be around other people that are like-minded, and your fellowship and community increases with other people, attachment to your stuff decreases. And you start to see it as just, it's just an iPod. It's just a car. It's just a house. It's just a means to an end. 
If I've got to sell it to give them food, I'll sell it. If you notice this pattern, whenever you're around other people a lot, you'll find yourself less consumed with things. And more consumed with Christ, more consumed with community. Second point, church health leads to church growth. In this passage, we see a profound picture of what church health looks like. It's simple, but profound. And it's healthy. Anything healthy grows. It's true of people, it's true of plants, and it's true of the church. Anything healthy grows. And so what you see here is, you see people that are longing to be part of this community because they don't experience this kind of community in their world, where they're at. There's a couple of people that come to my our small group on Friday nights. I'm a part of a, a small group, um, a bunch of older people like me that have kids, and we get together, we have food, teaching, and community. That's, that's really it. But there's a couple of people, they're a married couple that come, they have two girls, and the funny thing is, they've been coming every week for over two years. And the couple... They're not even Christians. They don't claim to be. They don't pretend to be. But you know why they're coming? Because they don't have friends. I'm serious. They don't have friends that are like them, and they want to be a part of what we're doing, so they just show up every week. They're there. And it's kind of funny because when we have conversations about the gospel and Christ, and I'm sitting there going, I'm friends with this couple, and, and it's just kind of funny because they, they're there, they're part of it, but they don't really, they're not buying in yet. But you know why they're there? Because they see something there that they don't have in their own world. Unbelievers should look into the church and long to be a part of it. That's, that's what should happen, but so often the, the case is the exact opposite. You guys are looking into their world, wanting to be a part of what's happening in their world as opposed to the other way around. And so the question we have to wrestle with is, what's it going to take to get us to a place where that kind of fellowship happens here on a continual basis? Because here's what I see sometimes in our community. When it comes to teaching, I've noticed that guys and girls have different sin issues. We're all sinners, just the same, but guys tend to struggle big time with apathy. And when it comes to teaching, they just kind of be like, uh, teaching's boring. It's kind of stupid. I have better things to do. So guys get apathetic about teaching. I think girls get apathetic about fellowship or community. Or what happens with the girls is they tend to backstab, gossip, slander. Those things happen with the girls, and it breaks apart community. In a great way. I've seen it happen here a hundred times in this youth group. So the question you have to wrestle with is, are you going to let Satan win that battle? Are you going to be, be someone who allows Satan to win when it comes to keeping you, being, the, keeping you from being devoted to teaching and to fellowship? We've got three questions uh, to close out with. And what I want to do is, uh, once you're done discussing those questions... Go ahead and pray for your tables. And we're going to do a group photo up here on the stage for our Compassion Kids. So go ahead and discuss those last three questions.